so much to say. Gotta get this off of my chest, I gotta let it go today. I was always too concerned about what everybody would think. Can live for everybody, I gotta live my life for me, yeah. What's up, you all? Welcome back to another episode of Capturing Self. I am your host, Simply Nikki. Welcome to another episode of our Inner Healing Series, where we had an opportunity to interview several different people about how they heal through their process and their journey. And today I have a wonderful guest with us. I have Shondell Atkinson with us. Welcome, Shondell. How are you? I am awesome. How are you doing today, Nikki? I'm doing great. Doing great. With us, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I am Shondell Nicole go by Nikki Atkinson. Um, I am the founder and CEO of the Mustard Seed Foundation, which was incorporated in 2007. Um, it is a teenage mom's residential facility that is also licensed as a mental health provider, um, which is something that's new in the state of Ohio. Um, I am the only teen mom's facility that you know, serve young ladies 13 to 21 who are in the foster care system where their babies can live in the house with them. Um, I am also the founder of um, Cardio Kids Camp, which is a holistic program, summer program for youth in our community between the ages of five and 13. Um, and we focus on everything from health and wellness, fitness, um, teaching them about the socialization skills that they need as young people, and then also working with them on the academic side, uh, making sure that our babies don't experience that summer slide. Um, we've been doing Cardio Kids Camp now for since 2009. So um, it is one of my most, you know, prized programs. I love it because I love working with the babies. Um, and then I have Serendipity Community Care, which was birthed out of pain, um, just like all my other, my other missions. But Serendipity was, I was diagnosed in 2015 with lupus. Um, and end up, you know, leaving the hospital and now I'm fighting for my own health and, you know, um, serendipity community care. I pretty much started that based off of me doing my own research um, about my care. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty busy, but I love it. All of my missions are really dear to my heart because it is something I was impacted by. Awesome. Awesome. And so we're going to get more into uh, the different missions and businesses that you have started. Started. You have been in foster care um, when, you, when you were younger. Can you tell us more about that? And at what age did you enter the foster system? Okay. Um, so I went into foster care um, October the 20th of 1979, uh, right before I turned two. Um, I went into foster care and it's interesting because as I started to do research about my book and, you know, let me just say this. When I originally went into foster care, you know, as I started to get older, I thought that I really went into foster care just based off of my mother's drug addiction. And that was a part of it. Um, my mother was addicted to crack. She was one of the ones that was in our community that was infected um, heavily by the crack addiction um, epidemic. And not only her, but majority of my aunts and uncles were also addicted to crack um, when it hit. So my mother was unable at that time to really care for us. So it was a lot of things that was happening around us that just based off of her addiction, she was unaware of, um, I believe. Or, and right before I turned to Children's Services, they got a call, a report that um, my oldest brother was selling me for, for money um, to some of the other neighborhood boys in the community who were 
um, molesting me and having sex with me for quarters, essentially. Um, and so that was the first time we were removed from my mother's house. Wow, wow. So during that, and how many foster care homes were you in? Because I know you said you moved around a lot to different homes. How many foster care were you in? Um, I was in 21 total. Um, and most of that came from my mother would get clean and she would get her kids back. Um, and we would do reunification through children's services. And then she would relapse. And then we would end up going back into a different home or, you know, it was like one or two of the homes that we were able to go into that I was like a repeat um, child. So, but majority of most of it was just, especially after I hit teenage years, it was mostly just running away off the chain. Right. So, yeah. So going through that transition, I know, you know, from what you remember, how did that make you feel, you know, knowing the different things that your mom was going through and the things that were affecting you and then having to go to these other homes how, what type of mindset did you have back then going through those things? You know, I, um, it was funny because I can remember one very, you know, one, one situation that stands out to me the most. Um, outside of the fact that I knew I had been going through being sexually molested within my mother's home, but I also was being sexually molested in some of my foster homes. So it really made me feel like I had no power over not only my decisions because we were always standing in front of what appeared to be like people that we were very unfamiliar with but these individuals were making the decisions for us mm -hmm. um and essentially for my mother as to what type of parent she was able to be or not be um so that was the first thing was that i was i always felt like i was powerless or like i didn't have a voice the second part of that was being stripped from my siblings and my family no matter how much turmoil was going on in that home. To me, it was like, leave me with my mother, let me suffer with her because I'm suffering in these foster homes that don't care about me either. So at least with my mother, I understand that there's a drug addiction that she can't do it. But on the opposite side of this is people that is getting paid to do it who aren't. And that really put me in a place like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, like I just didn't fit in anywhere. Or even if I became comfortable, that was always being stripped away from me. Um, whatever level of comfortability that could be, it never existed long. So it was like, you're always in transit and there's always people that's talking around you instead of to you. So it just, it just really made me feel powerless and I just became mute. And I can remember becoming mute. Wow. So during that time when you were um, in and out of those homes, were there people around you that helped motivate you or inspire you or people that kind of seen the pain that you were going through and try to reach out to you? Or th did you not get that until you were grown? Um, I felt like I started to get that, you know, and, and growing up, like I said, I, we always kind of knew who my mom's side of the family were. So I always had like my big cousin, uh, like LaDon, who would always try to help um, you know, motivate me or keep us positive. But then she really, you know, I mean, all of our family was, was really going through something, no matter how much we tried to have this connectivity. Um, everybody kind of felt like it was like, okay, one day I have a relationship with my aunt or my cousin or my sister and my brother. And then the next minute I don't. Um, but, you know, I, I think it wasn't until I got to the, like the seventh grade that I really ran across somebody who I knew cared. And 
everything that she did for me, Miss Harris, um, she was my basketball coach at Wilbur Wright. Everything that she did from day one was about Shondell. And it wasn't about Shondell, the foster care child. Um, it was like, Shondell, I'm holding you accountable no matter what your position is. I'm gonna help you, but there are things, accountability that I'm gonna hold you to. So I always, and to this day, like Miss Harris, she's, she's, she really saved my life in the seventh grade when she seen me going down this path of destruction. And I've always listened to her because I knew she was coming from a place of, of love. Definitely coming from a place of love is to me, I guess it helps us open up in a whole nother way. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting you sharing your story because I remember um, I was, I wasn't in foster care per se, but I wasn't raised by my mother or father. Um, mm -hmm. My mother and father both struggled with drug addictions and mm -hmm. I went through my own things because of that. But, the, you know, I was yeah. blessed with the opportunity to stay with, my, with family. You know, my grandmother took me in and then, you know, mm -hmm. once I was taken from my grandmother, I was with my aunt. But okay. what I want to touch on is that I remember during those times feeling like, I needed more answers or people didn't understand me. I definitely went through the phase where I felt like I didn't fit in or felt like yeah. I was constantly explaining myself because of my actions. Can you really talk about how people misunderstood you just because of the actions you were displaying because of the trauma that you were going through? Yeah, and that's, I mean, and it's really interesting, Nikki, because on one hand, people wanted me to just be this, this good girl and, to me, it was like, I am, I'm, to me, I wasn't even a problem child per se. However, it did make me feel misunderstood all the time because I never had that second chance to really like, I mean, and I'm just gonna say from being a mother, if my girls make a mistake, you know, they break curfew. There's a punishment involved with that. And the punishment isn't so severe that you have my bags packed at the door and I have to get out. You know what I mean, I've done a kid action, a childlike action that should have had a childlike experience or um, like a discipline behind it. You know, sit me down, talk to me, but I never felt that I got that. Like usually if it was in, and I've gotten, I got to the point where it was like, okay, well, before you have the opportunity to call my caseworker or threaten to put me out or have my doors, my stuff packed at the door. By the time I hit about 11 or 12, I started to start having, try to, try to have control over what that, look like being kicked out like I'm gonna put myself out so I know I just made a mistake but I'm not gonna wait for you to tell me that I have to get out behind that um and so that became you know that became my my norm when every you know what I'm saying like now I look at my records and it's like Shondell went AWOL Shondell went AWOL and I mean and it was like I can remember my caseworker and them coming to find me and once again they're fussing at me again about going AWOL but it's like but you don't understand what I just went through in that house um, and I get you know. not asking you the question like what's really yeah. going on yes How are you feeling instead of jumping to the conclusions oh you just want to act out oh you're, yeah. you're ungrateful or unappreciative um yeah. and I don't mean to cut you off you are okay <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off but <laughs> I totally I I mean I get it because I see yeah. other people that are going through certain things and the automatic thing for human beings or other people to say is Mm -hmm. they just bad they just want yeah. but it's it's always a root to it is is yeah. than what you may think yeah i mean and, and 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 it's interesting because my i always had the foundation of church mm -hmm. um even with my mother 
that's where our safe haven was, was at the church. Or even if we were living in a shelter, she always knew how to get us to a church or the church bus would come around and pick us up. So my foundation that I had as a young child, which was God, my religion, my foundation of church, I lost that at the age of eight when I was raped in the basement of the church by my foster father. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as, and once again, I had been mute up until this point because I was so used to it happening that I hadn't really talked about a lot of those experiences. But my mother actually, um, it was like one time we had a visitation and my mother noticed that it was something wrong with me. And um, she, I can remember her asking me questions and I had been having a lot of pain in my private area. And she, when she went to inquire about it, I told her the truth, what had happened, what had been happening. And my caseworker told me that I had told a lie, that this was an upstanding guy in the community, that he would not have done that, and that I had lied about it. And to this day, it's still difficult because like church was all I had and it was the most consistent part of my life. So I feel like after that situation, when she told me I lied, um, they sent me to go stay with another foster parent. And that was the first time in a while that my siblings, like all of us, like I was separated from all of them. I wasn't with my little sister, my brother, anybody. And, you know, that punishment taught me to keep my mouth shut. You know, don't, don't, say anything next time just let whatever's going to happen happen and deal with it you know what i mean and so that's what i started to do i started to build up this resentment to the system um and to the church and you know that just that stripped that stripped me of a lot of things nikki nikki yeah. how did you get to a point to say that you know what i've been quiet long enough yeah. Let me do something to help somebody else, especially what you start in the Mustard Seed Foundation. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was it, 2007? 2007? How did you build up that nerve and that confidence to do that, regardless of all the things that you have been through? Um, the first time I can remember my voice being heard or me really even trying to exercise my rights or understanding that I even had rights was um, the day I gave birth to my daughter, Taria. Um, I was 17. I was in a foster home. Um, that I had been in for a little bit and um, her room, I had set up her room and everything. I'm doing the mommy thing. We didn't already named her. It's like, you know what I mean? And I go into labor and I thought it was interesting because I had had a really quick labor. So when I had her, I was like, okay, where's everybody at? But once again, it was a really quick delivery. And I just remember feeling like that day, kind of feeling like lost or like there was this really heavy weight on me. And so when my caseworker came into the room that day and I asked her about where my foster mother was, she was saying that my foster mother no longer, longer wanted to do teenage kids, that she wanted to change her mission to infants and toddlers. So she wanted my daughter to come back to the house, but I wasn't going to be allowed to go back to the house. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to have that conversation as to, okay, Shondell, you will be going to one foster home and Taria will be going back to the foster home that you were in and i remember immediately being like that's not going to work it's not going to work for me it's not going to work for my daughter um i haven't done anything wrong i've done everything that you guys asked me to do up until this point 
but this right here is not going to, we're, we're not doing that because I know if I lose my daughter now in the system, I won't get her back. So that's the first time I can remember my voice, like literally being like, no, you guys gonna have to come up with another plan. Um, she can go stay with her dad's family. Um, and I can go to another foster home, but she's not going back to that house. And she was like, well, no, you know, we only have a couple of days. So let's just do this for now until I'm able to find you guys somewhere else to go. And I was like, that is absolutely not going to happen. Um, and so I can remember what advocacy felt like in me at that moment, because I hadn't, I hadn't advocated for myself until then. And it was more so about seeing that the, there's these breakdowns within the system that, you know, you're not taking my baby. I may be a teenage mom and this may not have been by design, like as far as what you guys wanted, but no, I'm not, that's not going to be an option for me. Um, so she did, she went to go stay with her dad's family for about four months. And then she transitioned into a teenage mom's home with me, which was the only teen mom's home and the, like the only foster parent who was doing teen moms. So when she had a bed open, a, a room open, Taria and I were able to go stay there with her. And I was able to parent my own daughter until I came out of the foster care system. So Nikki, just based off of that experience alone, you know, I believe that, you know, God put that in me, that, that anointing in me then to say, not only are you going to be able to advocate for yourself, but you will advocate for other teen moms within this system and you know how to do it. So I believe the Must Receive Foundation was birthed out of that experience, of that experience. With, after starting the Must Receive Foundation, did you gain most of your healing through doing, having a Must Receive Foundation or did you seek help prior to then from your trauma? And I did both. Um, I had already went through therapy and really, I had went through Al and I meetings. I mean, because once again, I'm still battling the fact that my father's an addict who I never had a relationship with until like I hit like 18. Um, my mother's still addicted. Um, I have siblings that are now addicted. And I mean, it was just like a lot going on. So I sought out counseling for myself pre-muster seed, but I believe the bulk of my healing um, and my continual healing comes from this work. Everybody that comes through the door, every young lady that comes in, it's like, I can see myself in you. And it's, and it's really amazing because I remember one case in particular that God was really dealing with me on. And it was so hard because this young lady had been in human trafficking and it was just, it was, it was a, a really tough emotional case for me. And I remember the day that God was like, there is not one girl that's going to come through this building that has an experience that you have not already been through. It's like, I'll let you experience every single thing from homelessness to drug addiction, parents, to sexual molestation, to separation from family, anything that you can think of that you have coming into this building, mental health, you're going to, you're going to be able to address because I've, I've prepared you for it. So, Yeah. That's awesome that you can heal th heal through the other girls that come through. And I know every day is a is a healing process when yeah. you focus on some things like that. Um, so I commend you for you know keep fighting and pushing through because a lot of people give up and they feel like you know leaving here is the easier answer or just not doing anything at all is better. What are some other things that you plan to do or have birth because of all the things that you have went through? 
Um, so just like with Cardio Kids Camp, it was amazing how that was even brought about. Um, it really was just based off of the fact that, of what I wanted my own kids to have from an educational, from a summer experience um, as, a, as a young parent. It was like, okay, I want my kids to be able to be somewhere safe with individuals who are not just like, you know, they, they're just there and they're getting paid to have my kids like a childcare. Or I want my kids to be able to have the experiences of fitness and education and the arts. So everything that I wanted my own kids to have and what I would have wanted coming up is what I built into Cardio Kids Camp. Um, and then the same thing for serendipity. Um, when I was diagnosed with lupus in 2015, this was years battling of being on the ventilator, um, you know, coding like twice. And literally now I'm just on all these medications, but I'm on, I'm a revolving door at the hospital. I'm in the hospital bed for months at a time. I'm in there 20 days, 30 days, you know what I mean? And, and my stays are becoming increasingly more. And one day I just woke up and was like, I'm really kind of sick of this <laughs> at this point. Um, what are some of my other options? I don't like the medication. Um, and I had been traveling back and forth to California and a friend of mine said, introduced me to me medical marijuana. He was like, have you even tried medical marijuana? You know, and I was like, yeah, no. Um, I had a fear of addiction. Yeah. I felt like everybody that was addicted in my family somehow got addicted because of marijuana. <laughs> so it was like, I just, I didn't have any knowledge outside of that um, fear. And honey, the first time I started doing the medical marijuana and he had sent me some things, it was like life changing. Mm -hmm. It was life changing. Um, and so serendipity community care was what I started based off of the fact that I knew individuals here in Dayton or in Ohio didn't have, didn't know about medical marijuana. Um, I knew it was coming and I wanted to be a part of that because I wanted to be on the side that was now, okay, I'm a patient. However, who understands more and better of what they're going through than someone who is a patient? So that is why I started Serendipity Community Care. Community Care. When did you regain your faith and, you know, get that confidence and faith in God again, in God again? I, that's a heavy question. Um, and, you know, and it's interesting because my faith in God never wavered. And it's funny how, you know, what happened in the church made me look at the church. You know what I mean? Like it made me look at the church as a whole to, you know what I mean, to, to really examine how safe is it really? And then how much is being swept under the rug as it relates to us in the African-American community, just based off of it's a church. Um, so, but my faith in God was not something that, I mean, because Lord knows I wouldn't be able to do any of this without the strength that he gives me daily. Um, every single day is God and I have to have a conversation <laughs> because I'm like, okay, Lord, um, you know, something else like you want me to do something else so my relationship and my foundation with with god has been solid and i i thank him for that because even when i wanted to try to distance myself from god it was all it was like he came and like he would like kidnap me like like okay yeah i let you get a little bit out in front of me but you're not going too far and that's always been my experience that even when i start trying to run from my purpose or run from what i know God is like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna let you get out there a little bit, but I'm gonna reel you back in because you belong to me. And that's one thing that he's always, I always know that. Yes, definitely.
when it comes to your family, like your siblings and your mom, do over the years, have you guys been able to have a relationship? And it's a really, really rocky one. Um, and, and that's on all aspects. Um, and just, the, you know, just like my oldest sister, her and I are really cool now. We're close and we've always been, but there was some communication. There was some things, you know, sometimes there's things that you need to say to people, but there's like you, you hold back stuff for the sake of not wanting to cause a riff or wanting to have an argument or not really wanting to hurt somebody's feelings. Um, But for years I had felt like my oldest sister had abandoned me and yet and still God had to bring back to my remembrance that she didn't abandon you. You, she escaped Mm -hmm. um, from having to raise four kids that wasn't hers at a young age. Mm -hmm. So once my sister and I were able to have that conversation it really changed the dynamics of our relationship because I went from feeling abandoned by her to like really admiring the strength that she had because there was days that I watched my sister being molested or raped and it was nothing that I could do. Um, There was nothing my brother and them could do to really help her. And so all of us have experienced trauma and we kind of all kicked into like survival mode. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Everybody for themselves kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's caused a lot of just division within our family. But honestly, I just believe everybody is just still operating in survival mode or sometimes it's like we can all be around each other. And I mean, and that's only happened like maybe two or three times in our adult life where all five of my mother's kids and my mother have been in the same room. And then quickly it's like, it's, dissipated again it's like we're all back into our own sectors in our own world and we don't get to see each other mm-hmm. um so you know it's 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 something you know i mean and it, and it hurts because i have nieces and nephews that i don't get to see um and you know i know my sister and them feels the same way and we're just all so kind of segregated right. so a lot of days it's hurtful because it's it's like no matter how much we do as siblings there's this piece of us that's like, okay, I've learned to live without you in these foster homes. So I can continue to live without you. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the hurtful part. Right. What I want to say here is I really genu- genuinely um plan to pray for you, y'all family and and you know for healing. And that's why I thought it was so important for us to do this series because even though these are all touchy subjects, mm-hmm. um but I feel like it's it's time for us to break some chains and, you know, break some generational curses. And some of it just start with that inner healing within. And it take, you know, you have a lot of strength, obviously, for the things that you have created through all that that you have done. And sometimes it takes us kind of holding everything together and keeping the hope and the hope. Know that there's a way and God is a healer. And so that's why I feel it's very important for us to be, you know, sometimes put ourselves out there and use our yeah. story to reach other people. You know, nobody's story is bigger or smaller than the next. Yeah. Somebody needs us. So I really thank you for sharing your story with me. And before we get off here, is there anything else that you want to share that you want to leave to people that may be going through some of the things that you have went through and, and trying to find their way out? You know, it's, uh, the one thing that I want to say in, in about my mother is that, and I tell my mother this all the time, you know, for me, I can't speak for my other siblings, but for me, I forgave you. Mm-hmm. And 
who I am today is because of you. You know what I mean? And that's the one thing that I want my mother to know before she leaves this earth. And the one thing that God told me when my mother was in the hospital, when she had had a stroke about six years ago, the one thing he told me was, you pray for everybody else. When are you going to pray for your mother? Mm-hmm. When are you, you going to stop putting on that superhero cape and give her to me? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever it is that Irene is going to be, it's only by my grace Mm-hmm. That once she's still here, and it's only by my strength that she'll be healed. Mm-hmm. So, one thing I'll say to anybody who is struggling with a parent of addiction that's in addiction now, or trying to find a way to, you know, have a relationship with their parent, meet that person. You know, what I mean, meet your mom or dad where they're at. And that's the one thing. After my father passed away. It's something that I tell people, I don't want anybody else to experience is not having that forgiveness for him not to know that he was forgiven by me. Um, you know, turn, turn that relationship over to God and be the daughter or the son based off of what God allows you to be. And a lot of times I would do things out of guilt. And now I do things out of purpose because you know, God allows me to, and then I've, I know I have my own sin, so I can't carry no one else's as if it's greater than mine's or make people feel like that they've done some ultimate sin that God can't forgive them for. And so I just ask people to genuinely pray for anyone who is struggling with addiction. I pray for my brothers every single day. I pray for my mother who is still in her addiction today. And she, she, I know God has her. I know, I know God has all of them. And so Shondell can just operate out of whatever greatness he has for me. And I don't have to be tied to that, addic- to that addiction. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, thank you again um, for sharing your story with me and being open. And for those of you who are watching, I hope you got something from this series. And I want you to understand that nothing about this life is a walk in the park, you know, it takes one day at a time. And remember every day, you know, we can take every day a little at a time and work on us. But remember, you're not by yourself. Remember you are a king or a queen and there's greatness out there for you. And what I want you to continue to do is know your life, own your life and control your life. Because at the end of the day is your story. You guys have a great one.